Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. to Lost in Science for another week, your weekly half an hour of science on your radio. My name is Claire and this week on the show I'm going to talk to you about a hot topic, volcanoes. That's right, very hot, erupting all over the place, all over the world in fact. They're in Guatemala, they're in Hawaii, but interestingly Uh, There are remnants, extinct volcanoes in Australia. So I'm going to talk a little bit about those extinct volcanoes that, you know, don't get as much press now, but are still very... Well, they've they've cooled off. It's, Don't it's, get as much press for obvious reasons. I think. Yeah, <laughs> we, we just we just treat them like regular old mountains these days. <laughs> and in and in breaking news, <laughs> volcanoes still extinct. Well, they're actually very interesting for reasons that I will go into okay. in my story. Okay, Stu, how about you? Just recently, the federal government has decided that they will ignore some advice that they should tell pharmacists to stop selling medicine that doesn't work, as in things that are claimed to be medicine that don't actually have any effect, like homeopathy and things like that. And why do people think these things work and statistical analysis of of how medicines work and why it's actually very difficult to figure out if things work because most of the time people get better. So that's a big problem in statistical analysis and medicines. A big problem in statistical analysis, a good problem for people that they get better. Well, yeah, it's it's just what we do, mostly. <laughs> mostly. Mostly. And Chris. Well, I am also got another topical story. Uh, you may remember Stephen Hawking passed away earlier this year. He wasn't just a theoretical physicist. He was a real physicist. <laughs> that's a bad joke. I know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's shocking. Anyway, uh, moving along, his uh, his final paper has recently been been released, been published, and obviously everyone is interested to see what Stephen Hawking had to say. Yes, I read the paper, so you don't have to. Oh, fantastic! Um, yeah. You're you're, you're going to hold our hands and that's walk right. Us it's the, that's the right. Last paper of Stephen Hawking. That's correct. Chris is too long. Didn't read it. Uh, summary of Stephen Hawking's work. That's correct. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the crib notes. There's been a lot of talk about volcanoes in the world recently with Guatemala's Volcán de Fuego erupting recently, killing at least 25 people, injuring a whole lot more. And of course, the incredible footage I think that we've all seen uh, coming out of Kilauea in Hawaii a volcano there. Have you seen that? Uh, there was there was another news volcano news story as well. Um, and a really old one that was the the person who was leading Pompeii. Did you see that? Oh yes. They found a skeleton that had like a big rocket land on their head. Oh. What? And they were running away from the yeah. volcano. Oh well. Happy story. It'd, is, it'd be um, almost it'd be almost comical if it wasn't so tragic. Really. Yeah. One of the occupational hazards of um, living close to a volcano, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Is having rocks in the air instead of on the That's ground. That's right. Well, yeah, I, don't know, yeah. I don't know how often they they throw out actual massive chunks of rock. Oh, all the time. Really? 
Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we can agree they're pretty incredible volcanoes or inspiring and also uh, completely terrifying. Mm. I visited a couple of active volcanoes in Vanuatu, seen eruptions from the caldera um, and a magma lake. And I can totally understand why oh, people wow. get hooked on bearing witness to volcanoes. Now, the volcanoes in Vanuatu and around the Pacific are created by a typical uh, volcano-causing geology, if you would call it that. Um, that is ocean plates colliding with continental plates or ocean plates colliding with one another. Um, but when you collide ocean plates and continental plates, these are the tectonic plates, um, ocean plates are made of of rock that is denser and so they are subducted or forced underneath the continental plates um, and then the massive forces cause these magma to rise and spurt uh, volcanoes out of the top plates and People... thus we have the volcano in very simple terms. However, not all volcanoes are created this way. Take the Hawaiian Islands, for example. These islands are formed by a hotspot of upwelling mantle and not just a hotspot of, um, that people think of. Uh, a data hotspot of your internet. A Wi-Fi hotspot. A Wi-Fi hotspot. We're talking a magma hotspot. We're talking a magma hotspot. Um, So magma generated by the hotspot rises through like the rigid plates of the lithosphere. So for everyone, the lithosphere is the upper crust. So the um, crust like just under our feet down like. Oh, the upper crust. (laughs) Down to like 80 or 100 kilometres. Litho meaning stone. Litho meaning stone. Yes. So this magma rises up through the lithosphere and produces active volcanoes at the Earth's surface. So there's, so imagine this spot and then continental or an ocean plate on top of it. But as we know from our plate tectonics, plates move, right? So as the plate moves, the hotspot stays in the same spot. So it's heating a different part of the lithosphere as that plate moves. Oh, is that? And so that's why we get a chain of islands. So that's why we get a chain of islands. Oh, I get it. Yes. Great. Yes. So, yeah, so as the, as the plate moves over the surface, the hotspot heats up a new bit. Like if you've got a pan oh, on, the, okay. on the stove and you move it and then yeah. one side boils and then the other side boils if you move it across. So where the volcano is at the moment in Hawaii is, is the bit that's directly over the hotspot. That's exactly right. So this hotspot in Hawaii has been active for 70 million years. And is that all? <laughs> um, and it's produced a volcanic chain that extends 6,000 kilometres. So if you can imagine continental plates don't move that quickly, I think Australia is on the one of the fastest moving plates and that's six centimetres a year. We'll be in Port Moresby in no time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's that's been um, that's been a lot of a, a lot of time. Six thousand kilometers is a very long way. It is a very long way. So I assume I assume some of those some of those volcanoes and or what's left of those volcanoes are under the ocean now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but these volcanic hotspots don't just happen on oceanic plates; they also happen on continental plates. And now for my next question to you. Can you tell me where is the world's longest chain of continental volcanoes caused by a hotspot? I think it's going to be Australia. (laughs) Did I drop too many hints? I I think you might have. Okay, okay. It is Australia. It is Australia. So in 2015, it was discovered that there is a chain of volcanoes from this hotspot that stretches 2,000 kilometres long. So it goes 
through eastern Australia. It runs from central Queensland coast, southwest through central New South Wales, um, all the way to Cosgrove in Victoria. Now, obviously, we don't have active volcanoes, so this has been a long time ago, but we do have, you can see mountains there still. Yeah, there extinct some, volcanoes. Yeah, and there are a few, like in Victoria, I've been to a couple that have like calderas that you can go inside and yeah, right. like, you know, Tower Hill near Warrnambool, um, yeah. Mount Franklin near Castlemaine. Yep. Um, yeah. So this is called the Cosgrove Chain, and it's this chain that extends up and down the East Coast. It was in creation over the past 33 million years. And I guess the question on everyone's lips is, where is the hotspot now? Where is the hotspot now? Yeah, where is the hotspot now? Okay, so the, <laughs> it's actually fallen off the mainland, so it is no longer... It's dropped off. It's dropped off. Dropped off the map. It is dropped off the map, and it's now located somewhere in Bass Strait, so oh. it's heading to Tasmania. Okay. Yeah, that's where the hotspot is. <laughs> but it's not, it's not hotting anymore. Like no, it's, it's still, hot. it's still a hotspot. But hot there's no spot. volcanoes in it. It's not like Hawaii. It, Unle- it, unless it, just, it may, maybe it's passing under a thicker part of the ocean plate, and that's why there's no volcanoes oh, or something. That is a very good point, and that I'm going to come to that. So, what is fascinating about this extinct volcano chain is that it includes this cluster of volcanoes in North Queensland, and then further south, before you hit New South Wales, you don't get a lot of volcan- volcanic activity until you get down to um, Byrock and Griffith in New South Wales. Um, so, yeah, like you're saying, Stu, researchers have found that the lithosphere is actually thicker in um, those areas, so about 150 kilometres in those oh, areas, okay. and that's why there's not, there's not volcanoes in those areas, but where you get a lot of, um, of these extinct volcanoes up in the north of Queensland and then down south of New South Wales, you've got like 80 or 90 kilometres of lithosphere, so yeah, it, make, it, make, it makes it's sense. Easier for the rock to melt. Yeah, and it makes sense that yeah, it would it would break through at the thinnest points of the yeah of the surface. Yeah. So with all these volcanoes erupting um, all around the world, let's just remember that Australia actually has some of the most fascinating and record-breaking volcanic activity on the planet. Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. I know we've talked about the placebo effect on the show before, but uh, in light of the recent decision of the government to ignore the pharmacy remuneration and regulation review of September last year, which advised them that they should stop pharmacies selling treatments that have no effect at all, uh, I thought it'd be a good time to revisit the placebo effect. And in revisiting, I thought it'd be a a good idea to... uh, have a look. Have a look at the evidence for the placebo effect and what it actually shows, because most of it is in reality. Well, I'd say it's a statistical anomaly, but it's not actually an anomaly. It's just part of statistics that a lot of this effect is something that happens all the time in statistics, and I'll get to that in a minute. But um, there is basically a much more powerful effect than the placebo effect in medical interventions or medical treatments, and that's the recovery over time effect, which is obviously very common. So most ailments are either short-term injuries or illnesses from which people recover with time and rest, regardless of what else is done to them by doctors or other uh, people. 
So like having a cold, for instance, you're going to get better from a cold. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's the old thing about, you know, you'll get better from a cold in uh, in three days or 72 hours, whichever comes first. Um, and that doesn't matter what you take or what you do about it. You'll just recover from a cold unless, you know, you're immunocompromised or there's some other, you know, uh, complicating factor. Um, of course, there are serious and chronic injuries and illnesses which have ongoing long-term impacts on health and some have effective treatments and others don't. Um, but with many chronic illnesses, for example, one of the most common ones and uh, one of the ones that sort of confounds medical research is lower back pain or other chronic pain where people get continual uh, recurrences of particular pain in their bodies. Um, and the level of pain in that varies over time, um, again, with or without treatment. So people get people get their sore back and then they feel better and then it gets sore again and then they feel better again. Um, but that's so whether they get treatment or not, it often goes up and down regardless. So this makes it very difficult for doctors and patients to accurately assess the effectiveness of treatments based solely on anecdotal evidence from the patient. So back in 1955, there was a paper published called The Powerful Placebo, uh, which seemed to show that even getting a known ineffective treatment would improve patient reporting of lessened symptoms. So in simple terms, they'd give patients a an effective treatment, a painkiller, for example, and they'd give some other people some sugar pills, and even the people who got sugar pills said they felt better after they got this, uh, this treatment. Um, so later research on the phenomenon revealed similar results to Henry Beecher's paper, he was the guy who published the original paper, but over time the improvement of patients' health was increasingly attributed to them recovering from their illness rather than the real but tiny placebo effect he originally reported. So basically, since his original paper was published, people went, yeah, this is just people getting better. It's not actually a placebo effect having a huge effect on people. It's people get better over time. Okay, so it's not the magic power of placebo. It's just, it's just it's you what know, th- there is a there is a real placebo effect. It's just very tiny. What what actually you know what results it gets is very small. Um, so some authors have given increasing credit to the simple statistical phenomenon known as regression to the mean or regression toward the mean. So what this is, well, the mean is what most people commonly call an average. So the average, you know, condition of a person is that they're not in pain, right? And uh, regression to the mean is the common observation that when a measurement is extreme, any subsequent measurement is likely to be less extreme or closer to the average. So if someone says, ow, I'm in a lot of pain, and you go, okay, we'll take that as a measurement of their pain, then ask them five hours later and they go, oh, it doesn't hurt as much now they're getting closer to the average just as a result of time passing. So this is a statistical observation that happens in just about everything. If you notice something extreme and take a measurement of it, the chances are that the next time you measure it, it won't be as extreme. It'll be closer to the average than what your first measurement was. So if someone hits you on the head with a hammer and that hurts a lot and then they give you a sugar pill and then they ask you an hour later, does it hurt as much? And they say, no, it doesn't hurt as much. The sugar pill must have worked. Is that the kind of thing? That's exactly what's happening is that, you know, the the passage of time um, means that people are likely to attribute their their feeling better to anything that they've done in between. 
So what does this mean for measuring medical treatments? It means that people get better over time. So any measurement of extreme ill health is likely to be followed by less extreme measures over time as time passes. So this does go some way to explaining the placebo effect and also why some people swear that whenever they get a cold or a migraine or a sore back, their rescue remedy or whatever other thing, you know, makes them feel better. Um, and they will feel better even if they didn't take that thing. So they're, they're sort of attributing the uh, the success of their remedy to the fact that their body's just getting, is healing anyway. And also with uh, chronic illnesses, symptoms are fluctuating anyway. So there's often no way to convince someone that what they're taking for this chronic ongoing flaring up of pain and migraine or whatever it might be, um, isn't the, the, you know, what that they've done. It's just that that's happening over time. Um, there's a, there's an old Latin phrase, which is post hoc ergo propter hoc, uh, which means after the fact, therefore, because of the fact. So basically people are going, well, I did this thing and then I felt better, so therefore it must be the thing that I did. And obviously that's a, a, it's a fallacy of logic involved in there. So um, pharmacists are still allowed to sell these, memor- uh, these remedies, these non-remedies. And so, the, so which are these remedies again? So this is things like homeopathic remedies and bark flower remedies and things like that. Can you explain what a homeopathic remedy is? So a homeopathic remedy is something which basically goes against all of the known laws of chemistry in that the basic idea is that the more diluted a substance is, the more effective it is in treating something. But the um, the dilution is where you have, the, I, I'm understanding there's not a single molecule of the original substance that remains. So in a, in why a lo- it is basically your placebo. It is basically pure sugar pills or... Pure placebo. Yeah. Um, but all, yeah, so so a lot of people say, oh, well, it's just the placebo effect that's, uh, that's that makes people think that homeopathy works. When in actual fact, it's probably just the fact that they're getting better um, and yeah, sure, they might feel like that they've given themselves a treatment that's doing something, but really it's not doing anything. And this, you know, may extend for well, well further than that. But, you know, the, the issue here is that, um, you know, pharmacists sell these things alongside treatments that we know to be effective. You know, aspirin is a, is a analgesic. It will relieve pain or, you know, um, pseudoephedrine is something that will dry up your nose if you've got a cold, but you get these non-effective treatments sold alongside them in chemists and people sort of, I guess, take them at face value and sort of the chemist is selling it, so it must do something, even though the chemist or the pharmacist knows that it doesn't uh, and they were advised that maybe we should stop pharmacists selling these things. This is a public health issue. Uh, the government said, no, we're just going to let them continue to sell that for uh, for obviously for other reasons. So it is, it's interesting to note that the uh, the placebo effect is a real thing and it does have an effect, but it's much, much smaller than just people getting better with time anyway. Okay, you listened to Lost in Science, and we talked a few weeks ago, as much, much of the world did, about uh, the death of Stephen Hawking famous physicist Stephen Hawking. But there's been, he's got a bit more attention lately because his final paper, final scientific paper, has been released uh, to the public and has now been accepted for publication in the Journal of High Energy Physics. Uh, and so it's got, got, a, got a bit of hype, got a bit of attention. Posthumously. Posthumously. So I thought that 
being a good sort of scientist citizen in the world, I would read this paper so that you don't have to. Oh, thanks, Chris. Yeah, now, I mean, you've you've read every other one of his papers, I'm sure. Um, a good selection. A thereof. good a good selection. So just just the top ten. Yeah. Okay, so this is a paper here. It is called um, "A Smooth Exit from Eternal Inflation?" Question um, mark. Smooth exit from eternal inflammation. Inflation. inflation. Oh, inflation. Question mark. Oh. Co-authored with. It's almost like a Bowie-esque type. You know, name oh, another another yeah. big celebrity. Um, this was co-authored by Thomas Hertog from the University of Leuven in Belgium. Um, Thomas Hertog, of course, getting a lot of attention now because he's the one who's left to explain the paper. But no, look, it is a very theoretical paper. Um, a lot of maths in it, a lot of um, highfalutin concepts. I admit I didn't understand all of it. I'll, I'll I'll admit that. But I got the gist of it, and I was look compared to what other people have written about it. People, other people who've read it and, and commented on it, and pretty much on the same on the same. Line so so you, you you've pretty much you've got the vibe I've got the vibe of yeah it. yeah it's okay. the vibe of it yeah uh, I'll share that vibe with you now so as the name suggests it is about inflation and uh, not inf- not economic inflation no obviously. about cosmic inflation this is something that happened at the very beginning of the universe so like you've heard of the Big Bang right yeah yeah heard of that yeah familiar with that okay so the current theory is that shortly after the very beginning there was a period of Extremely rapid exponential expansion, which the universe grew from, let's say, smaller than an atom to larger than the solar system in less than a millionth of 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 a a second. So wow. Really, quickly. really short amount of time. <laughs> really good time. And this, this rapid expansion is what they call inflation. Um, oh. And it's used to explain a lot of the things we see about the universe um, that we see today, such as how it seems to be pretty much the same in every direction that you look. Okay. Um, but there are a few puzzles about inflation, and one of them is how and why did it stop happening? You know, why you know went through this period of extreme expansion, then that stopped. Now, so one idea to explain this is called eternal inflation, and then this is where basically the reason it stopped in our universe is because of a random quantum fluctuation that shifted it to a calmer state. But that only happened in this one small spot, which is where our universe is. And so the rest of this vast kind of multiversal expense keeps inflating at this crazy rate. And you get new quantum fluctuations here and there. So there are lots of other little universes settling down like ours, little bubbles, if you imagine, if you will. But the space between those bubbles is constantly getting bigger and bigger at this exponential rate due to eternal inflation. So so there's there's more space being made. Constantly, and more right. universes popping into that space, right. but it's just constantly inflating at this ridiculous rate. Now, this is something that is, like I said, it's just one idea to explain this. It also does your head in a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's also not something that's been proven. I mean, the maths behind this is pretty tricky um, and relies on things like quantum gravity. So it's kind of just a guess of what it, of how it would happen. Um, so what Stephen Hawking's paper was, an attempt to try and improve the calculations to make some new approximations, some new assumptions, um, and a few mathematical tricks to try and get a better handle of how um, inflation might have ended. So um, one of the things that they, one of the tricks that they used, and this is something you may have heard in news reports on this paper, is something called gauge gravity duality, also known as the holographic principle. So this is something that was discovered by um, Argentinian physicist Juan Moldesena in 1997. Uh, so it turns out that, uh, okay, so imagine you have like a three-dimensional universe inside a bubble, right? Yep. Okay. Now, this theory, the theory that explains gravity inside that bubble, it turns out to be directly equivalent or dual, if you will, to a quantum field theory acting just on the surface of the bubble. 
Okay, so you can explain the three-dimensional, what's happening in three-dimensional space by what happens in a two-dimensional theory on the surface of this bubble. So that's why it's called a hologram because it's kind of this two-dimensional thing that gives you a three-dimensional effect. It's a pretty trippy idea. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail because it has a lot of weird, profound implications. But it's also a mathematical trick because it allows you to work out basically what's happening at three dimensions just by solving a two-dimensional theory. So unless you kind of shift your theory to a kind of different dimensions that you can do the maths a bit easier. So they're basically just swapping back and forth. So that, is it just so they can do those yeah, mathematical so equations? Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what they did uh, was that they found these, they found that um, in a kind of a simplified approximation of the universe, you tended not to get this eternal inflation with this crazy expansion, all these little bubbles pop- appearing, but... In fact, what happened is basically that the inflation kind of smoothly came to a stop everywhere at once. So you kind of got this nice, smooth, as the title says, a smooth exit to eternal inflation. It's not definite. Even this is not definite, though, because they had to make their own assumptions. Like they had, like I said, a very simplified version of the universe. Uh, it lacked, for instance, any matter or energy in this universe. That they, <laughs> That's they anti. So, you know, <laughs> kind of need to add in a bit more to make it a realistic model. Uh, another thing that it was that it assumed that everything started with another idea of Hawking's. This is the um, the hawking Hartle no boundary state. This is something that he wrote about in his book, A Brief History of Time. It's basically one idea for how the the beginning, like the singularity, the beginning of the Big Bang actually could have could have worked. Um, so essentially it's an attempt to try and get around the idea of there being this this kind of point where everything started. And what it how it works is um, or how he describes it is imagine like think of the Earth and imagine that going north is going forward in time and going south is going backward in time, right? So you want to go back to the beginning of time, you go to the South Pole, but you get to the South Pole and it's not like a wall there. There's no like barrier where it's like you have hit as far south as you can go. It's just basically a smooth bit of ice and you just keep walking south and eventually you realise you can't go any further south because you're at the South Pole. But there's nothing special about it there. There's nothing, no boundary. This is why he calls this a no boundary thing. So kind of time comes to a smooth point where there's no like definite point where you can say this is the beginning of time. It just starts there. There's no time beyond that. Same as there is no south beyond the South Pole even though there's no wall there. So that's his trick for getting to the, the beginning of time. Does he does he also cover that if you if you keep going back in time you'll hit the South Pole and eventually start going forward in time because you'll start travelling north again? He's tried to use that to to a certain in a certain way, yeah. But um, again, this is like his own kind of unique ideas that not everyone yeah. accepts. So look, it is look, it is a neat idea. All these things are a neat idea, and the paper is really interesting for giving us this alternative to this idea of eternal inflation, which you know it just because it's one of those. Very wild ideas that gives you multiple universes is kind of a thing that feels a bit uncomfortable to imagine. But, you know, we can't really test any of this, which is real or not, because we don't have, like, a, any experiments we could do to test these things. So it is just a theory. But I guess when we're thinking about it in the context of Stephen Hawking's paper, it's a theory that basically encompasses the entire universe and multiverse. So it's not a bad thing for a final achievement, I think, to leave behind. That's all we have for you on the show today. Thank you so much for listening. Lost in Science is recorded in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the kind support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. 
please get in touch with us. We love to hear from you. You can email us at lostinsight at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at lostinscience1. That's our Twitter handle. Or find us on Facebook at Lost in Science on 3CR. Or just tune in again next week when we get Lost in Science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.